podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Tino from the Celtic Exchange and in today's special episode we'll be playing out the audio from yesterday's fan media conference with John Kennedy. For anyone who hasn't seen any of the noise on this online, this was an event that the club put on exclusively for fan media on Friday and was completely separate to the standard weekly press conference that we all usually see. This is a move which many think is long overdue and I think it's definitely a step in the right direction in terms of building bridges between the club and the fans. With the tensions that had built up around the Neil Lennon situation this season, this just wouldn't have been possible in recent weeks, so I think credit is due to the club here and the media team for setting this up this week at the first feasible opportunity. So, along with various other well-known Celtic podcasts and blogs, we were fortunate enough to be asked to attend and were given the chance to put our questions to both John Kennedy and to David Turnbull. The questions were of a high standard across the board and were focused more on coaching philosophies, the mindset across the remaining games of the season and on general football and principles, rather than anything too specific around this weekend's game at Dundee United. Some have accused the club of turning on the charm offensive here ahead of season ticket renewals or of this being the groundwork for the appointment of John Kennedy and I can understand opinions like that to an extent based on how things have been recently. However, I don't think this is the case here and I see it as a welcome and very genuine step towards improving fan relations. Regardless of your opinions on this and on your thoughts on John Kennedy's role at the club, what I think you will hear on this recording are some really insightful and informative responses from him on where he stands as a coach, the principles he believes in and how he continually tries to improve the players around him. It's not the standard vanilla responses you get from a lot of coaches and managers these days and I think true football people will really enjoy what he had to say. Let us know your own feedback on this on Twitter at Celt Exchange and if you're enjoying what we do, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And on that note, we'll now cut over to John Kennedy to hear what he had to say. Hi John, it's John McHugh Video Celts. Joe, how are you? Not bad. Can you bring us up to date with Vasilis Barkas? He was on the bench for a few games, missed out at Ross County and Aberdeen. Is he injured? Is there other issues? What's the situation at the yeah, minute? He, he was injured. Um, he had a, an ongoing ankle issue, which we had to kind of pull him out uh, and try and address and, you know, give him some treatment in that. He's come in for the last kind of day and a half. He's trained the last day and a half. Did some of the session yesterday. He trained today, so um, he's back fit uh, now. And again, it's been a little bit like, you know, himself this season. He's had setbacks along the way at different times and uh, and that's led to a kind of lack of consistency in his training and his work and getting up to speed and, and developing the way we want. So we just need to kind of to, to settle that down and hopefully now we can, you know, get a bit of work in him and, and be consistent with that. Is there any sort of time scale and when he should be available for first team selection? Again, we'll address the weekend in terms of how he's how he's feeling and how he's come through the training. Um, and then we'll just take it from there. So uh, we'll just need to see how he, see how he progresses. Okay, I'll pass the baton on. Keith, uh, Keith McGinty, hi. Hi, John. It's Keith McGinty from the Um hi. Best wishes from everyone at the Cynic uh, for the remainder of the season to you. You've mentioned that you're a student of the game. Um, can you tell us a bit about your own football and philosophy? Um, who you draw inspiration from and how you would like to see your team play? Yeah, um, I think... It's one where I think growing up for football, you kind of play football, you enjoy it, you love it. Um, and then when you kind of take the step across, you kind of, the mindset changes. It probably changes before you finish, actually, especially with me, knowing that I wasn't going to be, you know, playing until I was 35. So 
and kind of mind changes um, in terms of how you look at the game rather than just playing it and you know doing your job. You look at things more collectively. Um, and then from there, it's just a case of what, what you want to be and what you want to do. Ultimately, as soon as a new football playing-wise was going to be cut short, I didn't want to come away from it. I just loved it too much. You know, it's spent most of my life being part of me. So it was pretty much, you know, getting involved in, in the coaching side. But again, ultimately, you can't always, you know, in everybody's case, jump straight into that. So I wanted to be more well-rounded in terms of, so I took a job scouting and recruitment, which gave me a great insight into uh, what went on behind the scenes, how players were brought in. I did uh, opposition analysis, you know, again, so looking at oppositions, how they set up, you know, in terms of one against whoever they might be playing, but then breaking it down in terms of when they come to play a team like Celtic or a bigger, bigger teams, do they change? Um, and just the, trying to address that side of the game and how you how you read it, read it, read it and seen it. Um, and then ultimately moved into coaching when I got the first opportunity. You know, I was coaching with some of the academy kids in the evenings as well as working as a like an analyst and scout. Um, and then the under-18s job came for me. And I think that's when it really starts for you um, as a coach because, you know, like most of you guys, you'll look at games, you'll analyse them, you'll watch, you know, football from everywhere, which we, we all do and love to do. Um, but I think when you get really into the, the nitty-gritty of the coaching, you get a real feel for what you are uh, and what how you see football properly. Um, you have ideas. Uh, those ideas sometimes when you, you, you go and carry them out with personnel you have or the teams um, you have to be adaptable and change and, and, and think about things but ultimately having been watching Celtic all my life been involved at Celtic you know as much as I was a defender I'm a very attacking minded guy you know it's very much about the, the performance and how you can dominate um, how you can you know play attacking football and score as many goals as possible but also it has to be a collective in terms of how you defend and how you you work together so everything's got to be in conjunction with each other um, and I think through my experience as a coach I think you get to know what you're comfortable with you know if you're a guy who you know you, you watch football and you say yeah I want to build out for the back and you set your team up and all of a sudden you're you're, you're jumping out your seat every pass that might be tight then it's not real you know it's, it's not real for you because that's not what you really believe in because your your emotion comes out at that point and if you've got the fear trust me your players love the fear so it's, you have to be comfortable in what you deliver, be really true to it um, and not try and be false. So for me, it's very much been comfortable with the ball, you know, in terms of an attacking intent, being in control as much as you possibly can. Um, whether a team presses you or not, you've got to identify how you attack, where you attack um, and the times you have to speed and slow the game down. Um, and you need to do that with full control. So everybody needs to be involved in that. It's not a case of, you know, you, you pass the ball into your forwards and you let them go into the magic. The minute the, our defenders go from maybe having the ball and working in a different area and all of a sudden the, the attack it's accelerates very quickly because of space and time we go, our defenders have to move at the same same speed as everyone else. So if the ball breaks down, we're still fully connected. We're all on the same same page. Uh, and then again, the transition type of side of the game, then if you're open and spread, you'll get done every time. So it's very much you get to know your your beliefs and your coaching style um, as you do it. And you, you have ideas, you have things you, you like to watch and see. Um, but I don't think it really truly comes out to you to you work on the pitch and work with teams. And, and within that, you know, even a long time I've worked a certain way with, with my youth teams and my reserve teams, um, played in a very specific style, um, you know, and been comfortable with that and enjoyed that. And then when you come into first team, you know, I've been part of 
coaching groups and, and, and management teams who, you know, you have to be adaptable in terms of you always have your key principles, you know, your style doesn't change, you know, but tactically you've got to be adaptable in terms of one, what's available to you, what personnel you have, um, what the opposition they're going to bring and what might be working for you in that, that period of time, you know, but ultimately you've got a big picture of how you want it to look and that style, you know, they always refer to what's your tactics, well, it depends, it depends what the situation is at any given time. You know, your, your style is the most important thing. The players have to understand your key principles. Um, and tactically, it can be as minor as a five-yard movement, you know, in terms of if a team press you a specific way, um, the number of players you need to build the play, um, and then the number of team players you might need in a specific area. And it might mean a, a winger moving from outside the pitch, moving inside the pitch 10 yards um, to overload a certain situation that's resolving a situation, that's a tactic, you know, and I think sometimes it can be a bit misunderstood. So, um, again, what we need to do is create good decision makers, um, and that's the way I, I like to work in terms of training and coaching. We have a very much, you know, a setup uh, and a structure uh, and parameters within that, but players have to be good decision makers. You know, we can't stand as coaches on the side of the pitch and make every decision for them. You know, so in terms of them recognising situations, you know, and it may be key triggers, and that's what training, when training comes in, you've got to work them and put them in, you know, situations that force them to make decisions, force them to make mistakes. But again, if they can't correct that, you've got to correct it for them and give them the options. So um, that's the way we get trained. Train good players, but you've got to train the good decision makers um, and, and always have that structure and, and key principles of play. Uh, and ultimately, we all want it to look good. You know, me more than anyone else, I want it to be slick. I want to dominate the ball. Uh, I want to score as many goals as possible. Um, and that's Celtic for me in a nutshell. But we've got to get results for that as well. Thank you. Uh, Craig Finn, Craig, nice to see you. Hi, John. Craig from Celtic here. Um, I'm just uh, looking to find out a bit more about James Forrest and his injury. I know he was due back the end of February, but Neil Lennon said before he went that there was his complications and he's been back training on his own and he's not training with the first team. Is that something you're looking to get getting back onto the the first team training field in the next couple of weeks? Uh, he's actually trained this week, um, so you've got insight there. So he's come through the week really well. Um, so he's trained every session this week, got through it. Uh, he's looked good, to be fair, as the week's progressed. He's you know become more and more of himself, what we know. Um, and I'll probably sit with James tomorrow morning just to address where he's at. You know, I want him to be part of the squad as quickly as possible, but he needs to be comfortable with that. You know, in terms of he's been out a long time, and I know what it's like when you come through surgery and, and rehabbing out and else, uh, the coach might think you look good, but you might not have full confidence and, and might not think you've done enough. Um, looking at him, uh, I would like him to be part of the squad. Um, but ultimately, I wanted James to be comfortable with that as well. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sort that over the next day or so. Um, but we've missed James. You know, and that's one player who, you know, again, talking about that attacking intent and everything else. Uh, and having a structure, but when you've got players who have one v one mobility, who have you know James's numbers the last couple of seasons have been terrific in terms of his goals and assists and everything else, you know. So regardless of what the opposition do, if we can have the adaptability to have players in the squad who can you know break a structure just from pure one v one ability, you know that's massive for us, uh, especially at Celtic when you expect you know teams to come and defend a lot, you expect to have a lot of the ball. You know, having that, you know, nice patterns and, and ways to break down opposition is great, you know, but at times it's a case of maybe pulling them one side, isolating your 1v1 players on the other side or in a certain area of the pitch, 
and allowing their actual quality to come through and, and, and create situations out of nothing. Um, so it's good to have that. We've missed that through James, Mikey Johnson being another one, you know, who's not been fit. Um, and I think that's showed in the performances at times this season and reflected in the results as well. So it's good to have him back. Um, hopefully he feels good about himself and, you know, the sooner we can get him back involved, the better. David, David Falls. Hi, John. David Falls here from hey, the Celtic staff. Um, just wanted to ask you if you could give us some thoughts on the, the three managers that you've worked with that helped um, Celtic win the second nine in a row for the club and just yep. what contrast between the styles of the three of them, what they were like to work for and what the, um, lessons that you've got from them that can help you in, in the job at the moment. Yeah, um, I'll start back with Ronnie. Um, so obviously came in, I'd been uh, uh, taking the reserves at the time. Um, and I think at that time there was probably, uh, what lacked at the club was probably someone who could, one, identify and, and knew the club, knew the players, knew the staff. Um, and having come through the academy, both as a player and as a coach myself, it was, you know, how can we, you know, pull these talents up? How can we get them around the first team as much as possible? Um, and I'm I'm one who's very much about that, you know, in terms of, you know, I want to, you know, give them that opportunity. I was given the opportunity at a young age, you know, several of the players that I played with who went on to play here were given that opportunity. You know, so opportunity is massive um, at the right time, you know, and for the right players and, and the ones who show, you know, they're capable of that. Um, so that was, you know, part of the planning behind that, you know, coming up with Ronnie, who I got on very well with, um, and also had a keen eye in terms of like, pulling through the best, the best young players to be part of it. So again, with Ronnie was very, again, Ronnie was very clear on how he, very good coach. You know, Ronnie was a good coach on the pitch, loved to be involved in the training. You know, was very clear uh, when he first came in and very, he was very clear that we, we want to play 4-3-3 and blah, blah, blah. You know, ultimately the squad probably at the time uh, didn't always quite fit that because um, we had a couple of number 10s and, and stuff. So again, being adaptable, you have to adapt to that, you know, but, you know, very motivated, good energy about him, you know, good coach. Um, I thought the second half of his, his first season, we started to really show uh, his style, you know, in terms of very aggressive and pressing, you know, a lot of counter-attacking in terms of winning the balls in, in really positive situations, um, you know, and bringing a clarity to go and attack and, and defend together. So there was certainly a lot, I think, you know, and I felt it in my experience at Celtic that, you know, getting that second season when you don't qualify for the Champions League, there's always, you know, a cloud comes over for a period. Um, and it's how quickly you can come out of that. And if you don't come out of it quickly, it can drag on a bit. You know, there's certainly a knock-on effect. Um, so I think that was was noticeable in that second season. Confidence dipped a bit and things just didn't quite work out. But, you know, terrific guy, very honest guy, good coach. Um you know, and it's great to see that he's, he's been running uh, and working in New York now as well. So um, after that, we had obviously Brendan, who I think speaks for itself in terms of his, his CV and, and what he is. You know, excellent, not only as a coach, but as a person. Um, really got everybody's interests at heart, makes everybody feel very much part of it. And you felt that from early on in terms of coming in, you know, it was very much uh, he arrived and Brendan Rogers had arrived in this big name. You know, but certainly, you know, in the training ground around the club, it was it wasn't about him. It was about you know creating a, a real together togetherness and, and a culture that's he's there to help everyone. Um, so for me personally, getting to see someone of that caliber working was terrific. You know, got very close with him. You know, worked very close together. You know, in terms of his decision making, 
you know, he was always very clear. Um, and that's one thing really with Brendan. He has an unbelievable confidence, you know, in terms of how he conducts himself and the way he makes decisions. Um, but an amazing talent of getting everyone on the same page and an amazing talent of getting the best out of people. Um, and that's, again, away from coaching is great, you know, but when you're kind of a coach and a manager and everyone else, psycho psychologically is a huge part of it as well. You know, because players have to, especially nowadays, need to feel that, you know, they're there to help them, they're there for their good. And when you do that, Brendan the a great knack of like hooking people and getting them on board and part of the process. Um, so great guy in terms of his in-game management, very decisive, you know, I've been involved in him and uh, you might be in, in the back foot a little bit, um, you know, automatically you think, like, how do we try and block this up a bit more or something? You would do sometimes just go get a striker on, bang, as quickly as that. Um, very decisive, very clear what he wanted, you know, and, and terrific manager to work with. So, again, I still speak to him a lot. I uh, have a really great relationship with him. Um, but, again, very honest, very open, um, but probably one of the best. Um, and then also Neil, uh, again, I knew Neil from a player. Um, I was a reserve coach when he was a manager first time around. You know, and Neil's biggest real skill was his one motivation. Um, he made it very clear to the players in terms of the being part of Celtic. You know, he was very good at telling the story of the Celtic story, and and, and this is what it means to play for the club, and really driving that motivation. Um, and been very clear in that and the expectation and the standards. Uh, and Neil was a serial winner, you know, in terms of, I know it's been a tough season this week, but, you know, he would do anything to win. He would be, you know, he would do long hours in here in terms of that drive-in game, you know, ultimately wanted good performances, but, you know, he knew what winning meant to Celtic, you know, and you got to continually win here uh, to be successful. Um, and I know, having spoke to him over the past week and even over the time this season, you know, it happened really hard in terms of not getting the results, not getting the performances, you know, and just the way things the way things went. You know, it hit him harder than, than anybody else, trust me. Um, so, great guy, you know, great respect for him. You know, excellent motivator, excellent, you know, very direct in terms of how he wants the teams to play. You know, with a very high tempo and being aggressive in the play. Um, but ultimately, you know, when things don't work out at a club like this, then, you know, things happen. So, he decided to step away from that and, you know, we respect that fully as well. Okay. Uh, Brian, you're in, Brian? Yeah. Uh, hi, John. Um, Brian, hi, Brian. Uh, you mentioned to uh, Keith there uh, earlier about um, to play the way that you want to play. You need good decision makers on the pitch. So is that a long-term thing within a club? Is that a, a long-term culture that needs to be built within a club from youth right the way through the system and do you need to have somebody in the modern world with managers changing regularly do you need to have somebody who sets that culture yeah within the organization? it should very much be and i hope that is part of you know having and knowing all the coaches in the academy level here as well and that's you know it's not about the coaches right this is this is one thing is yeah i'm a coach and i want to work and i want to set things up and do things a certain way but you have to do what's right for the players all right and you know, I've seen it before. I've seen very good coaches work. I've seen other coaches who work differently, you know, say differently, but they spend half the time talking and talking in riddles and explaining things to, to a level where probably the players don't get it. Um, so it's about being very clear on what you want, 
making the players understand you know the expectations and that key principles you know in terms of these are the main things how we want things to be um, and you have to work them and train them in a way that forces them to make decisions under pressure as best you can you know that might be from as simple as playing when to play one touch when to play two touch when to dribble and when not to dribble when to make your runs timing of your runs or it might be more tactical when it's involved like okay if the opposition are doing a certain thing these are the spaces that will become open and that's when you arrive into them or whatever it might be. So that takes time, 100%. And that's the way we've always worked anyway. Um, at times this year, I would certainly say that we've probably made you know, more bad decisions uh, than we should be. And that comes with pressure as well. Um, but from a young age, you know, it's, it's very much at the early stages. It's about, you know, developing the skill set and being comfortable with the ball and everything else. Um, but naturally, you'll start to make decisions. You know, when you're a, you're a kid and you're playing in the, the garden with your brother, you know, you decide whether you're going to have a shot then or whether you're going to try and nutmeg him. That's a decision. Um, and through that process with young players, it's a kind of guided discovery. You can't constantly tell them what to do. Um, you know, even even a player like James Forrest or Mikey Johnson, uh, no matter how good a coach or manager you are, if you don't give him a, a, an element of freedom to make decisions, when to dribble, uh, or when to beat someone or, or a particular skill, they can do things that we can't coach. They can do things. That, so there has to be uh, a kind of framework there. There has to be an organisation within that. But there has to be a, a level of expression for the player to, to showcase what they've got. You know, and that's up to us as well to, to try and uh, build that and give them that freedom within the, the structure. Um, but they've got to be able to express themselves and do what makes them good as well. And ultimately, that makes the team good. So, um, very much in training, you know, we we work in a way that uh, we'll have a specific, you know, thing we want to work on. It may be a position drill. It may be more of a, a tactical drill or a, a directional uh, game of some sort. Um, but without having to explain everything all the time, you know, the players want touches of the ball. They want to be active as much as possible. Um, so, it, for coaches, it can be as simple as conditioning a drill. Uh, that forces them to make the, the decisions you hope they make. You know, so we've, I'll use an example, we might position gates in a certain part of a pitch that forces them to play diagonally across the pitch because ultimately that's, you know, the way we want to build the ball is playing through through teams. If teams want to man-mark you, then you've got to play at angles all the time and play away from, from the centre sometimes. So you position gates in a certain thing. Now, I don't need to explain that so much to them and say, by the way, this is why straight away, Naturally, it should happen, and then explain. By the way, this is what you were doing, and this is why. Um, if they continually make bad decisions, then you've got to correct that and give them the options. Um, but if you continually tell them what to do non-stop, then they become robotic. And if that situation changes in the game, what are they going to do? You know, or oh, you told me that was going to happen. Yeah, but it didn't. You want to wait to half time till we try and correct it or try and get information on the pitch. But the more dis good decisions the players can make and be comfortable with that, and that comes from coaching. That's not just putting in the players. That comes from situations and training. You know, it might be reflecting on games. It might be approaching games, showing them things, speaking to them, you know, running through drills, exercises, um, and just encourage more good decisions. And from there, um, it's not about battering them and telling them that was poor. It's about, right, this is what you could have done better and trying to educate them on that. Yes. Okay. Uh, hi, Paul. Paul John Dykes, Paul. Good afternoon, John. Paul John Dykes from a Celtic State of Mind here. Connor Hazard has uh, recently signed a new deal at the club. How important will the development 
of Celtic's graduates be as we move into a post-COVID, post-Brexit football landscape? Yeah, it's important, always is. Um, and even now with the way the landscape is with, with Brexit, COVID, everything else, then, you know, we've got to maximise what we have in-house as well. You know, Connor's one who, you know, you'll have seen yourself several times this season, um, who's one who's been around the first team for long enough now. Uh, and to be honest, he earned, he earned his opportunity to, to play through his training and how he was progressing. Uh, and as I say, the opportunity is good for young players to show themselves. Now there's uh, areas of Connor's game when he did well, uh, and he'll be the first to admit there's areas of the game, you know, especially in, in certain games where um, it has to be better, you know. And, and for a young player, especially a goalkeeper, where you know making a mistake is very much highlighted. Um, it's dealing with not just the talent he's got, but it's pressure situations. So how do you how do you deal with a setback? You know, uh, looking at Connor's game. Very talented player, uh, goalkeeper who, you know, we hope has a very bright future here. Um, for him, again, psychologically, okay, you make a bad decision, you make a mistake, what next? Uh, things I've seen with Connor is very much that it hangs over him for too long. One decision, one bad decision can become two, as minor as it might be. Um, so again, it's how you address that uh, and just resetting. Knowing you made a mistake, accept that, acknowledge it. But again, reflecting on, like, okay, what makes a good performance for me and get back on that. So for Connor, he's a good player. Um, one we have high hopes for. You know, delighted he's, he's committed for the next couple of years uh, and hopefully continue to progress the way we, the way we want them to. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we've got Paul from Celtic Fans TV. Paul? Hi, John. Paul from Celtic Fans yeah. TV. Um, how much have you and the players benefited from having a full training week together and... And what improvements are you looking for uh, from last week's performance against Aberdeen? Yeah, it's been good. Um, just having that contact time as a as a group's been good. Um, again, last week was a difficult week for the players, you know, in the, from an emotional point of view. When there's change and the manager leaves, um, it takes a lot of energy out of you. I thought that showed in the second half at times in the game. I thought we just lacked a wee bit of energy second half and lost our way. Whereas first half, I thought we started really, you know, really bright, pressed well. We're Good intensity. We, you know, built the ball well, and created promising situations. So that was really happy with that first half. You know, in terms of building blocks and kind of a solid foundation, creating enough, and then you want to then encourage that second half and, and even more. Um, and just through experiences of the season, I think the fact it stayed one 0 when we, you know, first half when we get a second goal, I think you'd have seen a totally different team in terms of the confidence and the kind of blossoming and, and coming out really out of shells. With the second half, I just thought. The experience of the season, we've been in those situations. You know, there seems to be a sucker punch. You know, we can see the set play, we can see the penalty, uh, we lose a goal and, and we draw the game. You know, and I think subconsciously, I think that got to the back of their heads a little bit. We stopped getting into position quick enough. We stopped moving the ball with limited touches, especially when Aberdeen man marking aggressive. You've got to be quick with the ball. Um, you've got to create your own space at times. You've got to play, you know, with two and three and four people to try and disorganise them. Um, and we stopped doing it. You know, we certainly stopped doing that. So, again, we, we addressed that at the beginning of the week, um, showed them the comparison of when we do things well, what the outcomes are, and then when we stopped making, you know, small movements, small angles for each other, you know, making the passes with limited touches, it just invites the pressure and it gives Aberdeen, you know, confidence to come on in. So, there's a number of things we take for the game very positively. I'm very much a guy who will, uh, as much as possible, take the, the negatives and address them. And I will be, you know, really reinforcing as many positives as possible because ultimately it's it's understanding what makes us good, you know, what makes us good, 
If we do that more often than not, it'll breed success. It'll bring good results. It'll bring good performances. These are the issues. This is how we fix them. We'll go out and work on them. So, you know, so basically we have to score more goals. We need to get back to scoring more goals. Uh, we're creating enough, even half chances that, you know, those half chances, even, you know, if we have five of them, we've got to start converting them because that's sometimes what's, what can change the game. You know, I thought our build-up was cleaner uh, in, in the game, especially first half against Aberdeen, which gives us a, a solid foundation where everybody has got an idea of where, where they should be and then how and when to kind of move the ball up the pitch quicker. Uh, and then when we do that, we're all connected. We know then it's going to happen. So we should know, you know, if it goes to plan, which it doesn't always do, but when it does, uh, we should know what's happening before the opposition get a chance to adapt to that. So um, things like that we worked on this week. You know, we worked on our own game, first and foremost, which is the most important thing. And then we addressed some things around what we expect from Dundee United. So, you know, I'd like to be much more ruthless in the final third. You know, and that's not about, you know, peppering the goal with shots from 35 yards. It's about creating bigger chances. And when the, 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 even the, the big chances come along, be ruthless, make good decisions, go back to that. Um, you know, does it need to be a first time finish? Do you need to shift and get a shot off quick? Um, or do you need to be more patient and circulate the ball a bit more to stretch the defence and, and open up gaps? So we did a bit of that. Um, reinforcing, there's been a lot of in recent weeks uh, looking at us in terms of a structure in the diamonds being good defensively, you know, give us good control of the pitch. Um, and again, it's fine-tuning that in terms of collectively they got to defend. You know, whether you're a striker or you're a right-back or a centre-back, you've got to defend. Um, so one, they'll be pressing from the front, be aggressive. If that, that gets beaten and the ball moves to their full-back area, what do the strikers do to stay part of the, stay part of the team? Um, so there's just little bits like that which we're constantly reinforced, constantly trying to build on. Um, but ultimately, you know, when you get good performances and you get good results, you get more confidence... You know, so even the, the decision making in the game when you're more confident is quicker. You know, you you've more belief in it. You've more belief in yourself, um, and it's building that trust and, and togetherness and that cohesion that you know everybody feels comfortable that they've got support around them all the time. Um, but we've got to be aggressive. You know, it's nice. I enjoy playing for the back. I enjoy having the ball. Um, very much uh, dominating games, but we got to be really aggressive when we defend. Um, in the right moments that is um, one because it might take you know them pressing and running the ball in a good situation and it's very small mini counter attack that can be you know very successful as for us scoring goals as well I think there was a period last season um, I remember speaking to one other manager uh, in terms of our play you know and we were very dominant you know in terms of when Brendan left and and Neil came in and the changes were made it was about trying to increase the tempo probably playing more combination play around the final third uh, being a bit more forceful at times so there's a balance between being patient and, and just passing for passing or asking questions of the opposition so we want to ask more questions so we tried to be quicker in a play come the final third get more players involved so you know you can play two on two pretty much you can even evenly match it up you bring a third player into the equation it just becomes more complex to defend so Again, bringing a third player into that. Um, so we did all that. And I remember the managers kind of getting to my point here. I remember one of the managers saying, like, everybody talks about you, you know, dominating game and your possession and everything else. But my God, they use ruthless on counter-attacks. Um, and that's where we want to be, you know. So if you have to counter-attack, you know, and you have to use a counter-attack to get a goal and score, win a game, we've got to be ruthless at that as well. So we've got to be adaptable. We've got to be flexible and, and be able to be as good in many areas of the game as possible. 
Um, you know, but um, we, we need to have that aggression in the play when the right moments. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, homeboys, next, Joe. Hey, John. Joe Buchanan from the Homeboys podcast here. Hi, Joe. Um, I have a different question here. Since the move to uh, Lennox Town, it seems, appears over the years, we've come to a point where uh, players have very little interaction with fans apart from a match day. And added into this, very few players play an active role in attending supporters club functions up and down the country. And that's enabled somewhat of a disenchantment with fans. Have the club, or anybody at the club, realised this? And is there any kind of idea to heal that perhaps maybe by making it contractually obligation that you have to make some kind of personal appearances at a grassroots um, function something like Everton would do yeah I don't I don't know the ins and outs but I know since moving here it was very much about getting um, you know a, a training ground in a quieter environment where you could like have a bit of privacy probably more than else you know I've been at Barrafield when you, you're, <laughs> uh, you're setting up a drill and the kids have jumped the fence and stolen five year balls uh, and you're, you're chasing them through the scheme, but and I think a training ground, the modern, the modern uh, world, you know, all the clubs want to have a training facility. Um, I think a lot of them will be in more private locations. So I think that you know, I was a player at Celtic Park, and on a daily basis, you would come across fans outside the stadium, and it very much you felt you know close to that. There is a probably a little bit of detachment, but it's probably for the focus of you know having a working environment up here and having that privacy. Um, and then beyond that, the, the, the supporters things and everything else, I'm not entirely sure in terms of, you know, what the club commit to and what they don't. Um, it's probably something that and everybody has to speak about and, you know, and, and discuss. And if there are issues, then I know people at the club will happily um, look at that and speak about that. But, you know, that, this is the thing about Celtic and I've been here a long time. I've been a fan when I was a young, young guy growing up um, and everybody needs to be together. You know, and that's that's what makes us special. That's what makes us strong. Um, it's been difficult this season. One, because of the way the seasons went, performances, results. Um, but on top of that, not having that interaction, you know, with the with even the game. So it's been sad, really missed. Um, not just by us, but uh, all clubs across the country. But I think specifically us, just because turning up at Celtic Park is very much about the kind of being there and the, and the, the, the event as much as the, the game you know it's the, the families coming together the fans coming together the singing the interaction seeing the play the, the team you know performing um, and winning games and scoring goals and the elation of that the big nights you know and we've massively missed that hugely and I think that's caused a bit of kind of then uh, you could call it a, maybe a, a little bit of a divide you know in terms of because of you know, upset on the outside compared to what the players are thinking, but we're still working and we're still trying to do things right. And, you know, you get a bit of stick for that. That's part of the course. But, you know, it's been a difficult year, um, not just in society, but if you break it any like, football side of things, it's been difficult in that player to find interaction, which has been so strong in the past. You know, club to find interaction has been so strong. Um, I think the challenges it's, it's gave us this year is you know, brought us um, a lot of problems with that. But, you know, certainly something going forward. I know the club, you know, it's about the fans. You know, it's always about the fans in terms of uh, doing the right thing, giving them a product they can be proud of, one they can go on and cheer every week. Um, and we don't, we never want to lose that, you know, especially me. I've, I've grown up a Celtic fan. I know what it feels like. Um, and this year has certainly felt different in that respect. One, because of uh, the, uh, the season, the way it's went, that always brings a bit of difficulty in. Uh, and attention, but 
you know, that missing the fact that people have been locked up in their houses and not be able to attend games even, you know, that interaction brings something special. And uh, we've not been able to get that. Thank you, John. Anthony. It's actually Daniel for the fourth time. How are you doing, John? Hi, Daniel. I just wanted to ask John, with the news that the Scottish Cup will be played out to finish this season on a personal level, John, how good would it be for you to win a trophy as a Celtic manager? Uh, hi, Daniel. It's the again, it's good for the club, good for the team. Um, it's a trophy we've been very successful in in recent seasons, you know, and also currently the champions of that so it's great the fact that we can get the opportunity to, to play that out you know and, and try and win some silverware um again we've become so accustomed to winning and when you don't win you know it hits you it hits you very hard um so that's been the case this year so you know the fact that we know that they're going to play the cup you know gives us an incentive a bit of extra motivation uh, and something to really really attack again in my own position i'm generally just Approaching each week as it comes, each game as it comes, and doing what I think is the right thing to help the team, help the club, uh, and the club will obviously decide what happens. You know, as as time goes on, um, but certainly for the the team's perspective, speaking on their behalf, you know, having you know an extra bit of silverware um, to go after, um, and it's always nice. Scottish Cup final is always a good one. That end of season feel, you know, it can it can really set you up for the next season as well if you can be successful in that because. You finish on a high. You finish with that confidence. You know, you came into pre-season training four weeks later. The last game you played, you know, was a cup one. You know, so already the confidence levels are at a good level. So that's that's what we would like to finish off with. Um, so we just got to attack that with everything we've got. Cheers, John. Thanks, Thanks Daniel. Uh, Jamie. Very much. Hi, John. How are you get on? It's Jamie Hi, from Jim. Twenty Minutes Tim's here. <clears throat> I just want to say good luck for the rest of the season. Before I go into my question. I don't think there's any doubt that, and it's something that Neil Lennon addressed, that set pieces have been a real issue this season. Um, and listen to you talk earlier on, you spoke a lot about training drills and also the personal responsibility of the players. What do you think the key issue has been with set pieces this season? And where do you think the responsibility lies during the 90 minutes? Is it more with what you do in the training pitch or is it more about players taking responsibility on the day? It's, um, it's collective. Everything's collective. Um, I would never... You know, isolate one person or one small group, um, mm. because ultimately everything we do, we prepare them. Um, we allow that decision-making factor, but we always have that organisation. You know, so you know, I've been here in the past. You, you go zonal defend, you can see the goal. It's because you're zonal. Um, <laughs> you know that that old argument. So I've I've seen it a million times. So people will find fault in anything. Now, set plays. We've had an issue with this year. Um, I think it's a number of things. Sometimes it's been lapses in concentration. Um, a number number of different things but we work on it you know and you know in terms of we every week we, we spend time we've, we've tweaked things we've put an extra zonal player in at times you know sometimes when, when Shane Duffy played we actually gave him the responsibility of being certainly a six yard line you attack everything that comes uh, and we'll have everyone else marked up we'll have the front area space covered up um, I've been here in the past when we went zonal defending we've conceded but this year I think and again, this goes back to squad profile and everything else. We've not got a an overly aggressive, you know, defensive team in that respect. So we don't have a lot of players who naturally, you know, their greatest strengths are, you know, me being physical with you and dominating you. You know, we've got very good footballers, one or two who can very much handle that side of the game. The rest are, are good. Sometimes you come up against, especially teams like Aberdeen for talking sake, you know, they're a big 
aggressive side. So at that point, it becomes you know about one organisation. Yeah, we'll always have that. We'll, we'll know what the plan is, uh, and then from there, it's about you know in terms of what you have, it's been you know doing that job to the best of your ability. You know, I could go out and, and mark someone and be man marking them, and do the best I possibly can. He might just be better than me in a certain situation. Yeah, it might be too dominant. It might be too big. Whatever it might be. So. Again, we got to come up with solutions for that. You know, it's not an excuse. Uh, we got to kind of keep finding ways. We've done a lot of work in the last couple of weeks. Um, as, as, as simple as, you know, putting them in 1v1 situations in the box, putting them in 2v2 situations in the box, you know, putting crosses in there and working on um, organisations good, but you've got to be clear and, and executing that as well. So it's fine, I tell you, mark someone. But how, how are you doing that? What's the best way of doing that? You know, depending on what your skill set is. So if I'm playing against Ash Taylor last week for talking sake, yeah, he's, he's four inches bigger than me, right? I can't let him get a run on me. You know, so I've got to be physical before the ball gets, gets moving. Because the minute the ball gets moving and he's one or two steps, he's jumping top of me and I've no chance. So one, it's how you, how you mark, uh, how aggressive you need to be. Um, if we know there's blocks and stuff coming, you can try and adapt to that and we have different ways of dealing with that in terms of if a team crowd four uh, around a penalty spot for a corner kick and they go basically touching each other, it's impossible to mark them. It's impossible. So at that point, it's a case of, right, okay, we'll get four players and we'll zonally spread out and we've got to be aggressive matching the first, second, third and fourth run. Um, so little things like that, um, which we try and address and give them, give them solutions um, and then from there, it's a case of right, the execution of it. And, and ultimately, this season, we've not been good enough in that. Um, you know, we can look at the organisation of it. There's bits we, we could do better. Um, and at the same time, collectively, we all just got to find, find the answers for that moving forward and learn from it. Very much. Okay, thanks, Jimmy. I think finally, Martin, doesn't change. Hi, John. Tina from the Celtic Exchange here. John, I'd asked a, a similar question to David Turnbull just regarding the, the remaining seven league games of the season. So, unfortunately, looks like the league's all but done. How hard is it you, for you to, to continue to motivate the players? And also, how important do you feel in general that the, you know, the mindset uh, is in the modern game? Um, motivation, it can be a number of things. Obviously, in terms of motivating them to, to go and win the league, it's difficult because of the situation we're in and the, the difference in points with Rangers. So you have to find you have to find a different motivation. And that's you know the coaching part. And for me, going out in the pitch and that is is, is simple. You know, it's, it's easy enough. It's then finding one how you motivate a team um, and how you bring them together. And within that, individually, how do you motivate individuals? And I always find that if you can find uh, development within players. You know, so players realizing what they can do better and giving them a clear kind of guidance and, and how we're going to do that. And they feel you're, you're there to support them and help them and make them better. Then that's, you know, a very subtle way of motivating. So having that belief in you that you're doing things right for them. And then collectively for us as a club, it's like understanding and accepting what we've underachieved this year on the pitch, um, but not giving up and not falling down to that. And, and allowing our performances and results to, to dwindle away for the rest of the season. You know, you can only affect what the next step is and what you do next. And that's very much about representing Celtic in the right way, performing the way we, we expect to perform. And it, uh, a product of that, then if you do that, becomes good results. You know, so it's very much about building going forward. 
what's happened's happened. We've got to deal with that, accept that, um, but make sure that we're very clear in, in expectations of the players. And that goes down to attitude, commitment, the way we train, the way we work, what's expected on the pitch. Um, I'm from the staff. Uh, and, and just trying to improve that, get back to the improvement mindset, get back to being developers. Um, and then from that, we'll, we'll breed greater confidence, better results, better performances, hopefully.